All right, Isaiah chapter 40. As we get started, one of the things that's happening is, so right now we're kind of in an in-between time. Getting ready for the kickoff and you're going to be back in a book of the Bible, preaching through a book of the Bible, which is, the I think, the best way to go. And I don't want these services to be throwaway services, you know, where we you just try to fill time because you all didn't come here to fill time. You came to hear from God's Word. Amen? And so I really want to give you some things that will help you. And one of the things that has happened at Grace Baptist Church is, so now I've been the pastor for almost 20 years. And we have been building a a base of Scripture knowledge here. You all understand what I'm saying? So we start with foundational principles, and every service we add information to that base. And so what happens is we approach the Bible in a very specific way, and that is we believe every word of this King James Bible. All right, so that's the foundation. That's where we start. Um, there's no group that says, you know, so I'm not a part of a denomination that says, on this day, you preach this passage, and we pray this prayer, and that, that's, not, that's not the way it is. What happens is I spend time with God, I spend time with God's Word, and then I, I attempt to communicate what God has said to you from the Bible. What happens when you start with a baseline of believing every word of this King James Bible, what God does is He opens up understanding to everyone who's willing to receive His words. All right? We're not Gnostics, okay? The Gnostics believed that if you reach a certain spiritual level that you have spiritual insight that no one else has. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that this truth is available to everyone who believes God's word. All right. And so with that as our foundation, we have over the years, we have learned how to understand and interpret the Bible, not based on any man's thinking, but based on what the Bible says about itself. All right. Now, would you all agree that's where we are and that's what we try to do here? The problem is God's bringing new people to us constantly. Now, that doesn't sound much like a problem, does it? That's a benefit. It's a blessing. But what happens is, if you so if you've been here the whole time that I have been here, would you stand? We call these the dirty dozen. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? How many are back there? Two. All right. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> this is the dirty dozen. <laughs> 13, 15. All right, thanks. You can be seated. So there's, and there might be some more downstairs. 15 people who have been here for all of these, for lo, these many years. And so what happens is those 15 people will have heard some of this stuff over and over and over and over again. And so it's really beneficial for that to happen. How many of you have been here for 10 years? Would you, raise your, would you stand up? Go ahead and stand up. You've been here for 10 years. Those of you who are already here, go ahead and stand up too. You need the exercise anyway. <laughs> Except for Patsy. Patsy doesn't need the exercise. Now, this is... Okay, so now this is, this is really interesting. 
How many of you are a little shocked? Seriously. That shows you how the church has grown. Tom, how many people do we have back there that are standing? There's five back there. All right, thank you. You all can be seated. And what's interesting, I looked at a sermon that I almost preached today, learning to see the invisible um, from the book of Esther that shows how to find God in a book that doesn't mention his name. And I thought, here's, here's my thinking. Man, people have heard that. Well, that was in 2002. That's interesting, isn't it? And so what happens for me as, as a teacher is sometimes I feel like when I repeat something that it's boring to you guys. And you're thinking, no, it's not your repetition that's boring. It's your regular preaching that's boring. That's just, you're just boring. Um, and that's just not the case. And the other thing that's so funny, how arrogant is it of me to think that you would still remember every word of a sermon that I preached in 2002? <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? I can't remember what I ate yesterday, let alone what I preached 15 years ago. And so what I'm trying to do in over these next two Sundays is what we've been doing on Wednesday nights, our last year's Wednesday night Bible study, and we're going to pick that up here in a couple of weeks, is I want us to continue laying that foundation of what we believe, who we are, how to interpret the Bible, how you can do these things for yourselves. But I don't want to do it with the same passages over and over again. Because Now, first of all, that's very easy to do. Once you learn it and you've got all that memorized, it's real easy to stand up and take you to this place and this place. The problem is those who have heard some of it before tune out because you already know it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage this morning that I don't know if I've ever preached the complete passage here at Grace Baptist. Some of it's very familiar. Some of it will be new. But what I want to demonstrate to you today is how to approach the Bible. How to approach the Bible. And I'll tell you a mistake that we can make. Because, how many of you here believe the Bible and love the Bible? Would you raise your hands? Okay. And here's the problem. I think that every true Christian loves the Bible and believes the Bible. Would you all agree with that? But they've not been given the foundation that we talk about here at Grace Baptist. They've, they've not, they just have not seen it. So I'm going to demonstrate some of that for you today, and I'm going to show you how, uh, um, how it has been taught wrongly in many places, and so how difficult it is. I'm also going to demonstrate how difficult it is to find the truth. But also, we're going to learn that God cares about us. So this is not just an academic exercise. We're going to hear from God today in a very important passage of Scripture. So let's read this. We're going to read the first eight verses. And I'll tell you something funny. I started, and th th this is just so funny. I wanted to preach verse 31. All right? That's what started me. But we're only going to get through verses 1 through 8 today. So let's, let's look at verse 31 so you can see where I wanted to start. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But I don't know about you guys, but I have always loved that verse. It is, it is so cool. But you can't understand that verse without understanding the context of Isaiah chapter 40. So let's go all the way back to the beginning and let's lay a foundation. All right, verses 1 and 2. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this is a message of comfort. It's a message of comfort. So I have three points today. God's message of comfort, God's message of reality, and God's message of grace. God's message of comfort, God's message of reality, and God's message of grace. And it's just such an amazing passage, and it's an amazing section of Scripture. And so when we see the God of comfort at the beginning, that's really a blessing to us. But I want you to see that this is a message of comfort. And go to verse... um, Go to verse 6. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodness or goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. So here's the message of comfort. You're going to dry up and die and blow away. I feel so much better. It's interesting, isn't it? it I'm always amazed. I just, and I know that you all have heard me say this all over and over and over again. I've never seen that on a pillow. You know, I've never seen that stitched and put on a wall. I've not seen that. And yet this is a message of comfort. So it's interesting. The comfort that God gives is different than the comfort that the world gives. The comfort of the scriptures is based in reality. The comfort of the world is based on some pie-in-the-sky utopia that doesn't exist anywhere. Right? It's so true. As it's been said, um, neurotics build castles in the sky, psychotics live in those castles, and psychiatrists charge the rent. Right? The comfort that the world offers is this. Well, you're okay. You're okay. There's nothing wrong with you when there's something horribly wrong with you. There's something horribly wrong with all of us. It's called sin. Is that that true? And so if you have counseling that ignores the fundamental problem, that's not comforting. That's putting a Band-Aid on cancer. It doesn't work. And so the Bible, it's so accurate. It's so true. It's so real. And it's so much better than pop psychology. But we have to believe it. So let's do this. Let's, let's begin. I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Isaiah. It's really interesting. The book of Isaiah, well, your whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, has 3,193 prophecies. 3,193. Can we all say that together? 3,193. All right, you say it now. 3,193. That's how many specific prophecies are found in the Old Testament. Now, if you take allusions or pictures or images, types, it's many times that. But specific detailed prophecies, 3,193. Let me tell you how important Isaiah is. Isaiah has 781 of them. So that's that's a quarter of all of the prophecies in the Old Testament are found in the book of Isaiah. So if you want to understand what God is prophesying, you really need to understand the book of Isaiah. And I'll tell you what's interesting. Try to find a good commentary in the book of Isaiah. They almost don't exist. It's hilarious trying to find good writing on the book of Isaiah. And uh, I might explain some of that in a little while. All right. So total prophecies, 3,193, 781 of them are found in the book of Isaiah. And I'll show you how it breaks down. 
Ezekiel is second. It has 669 prophecies, and Jeremiah has 576. If you add in the book of Psalms, Psalms has 161 prophecies. Now, I'm just throwing a bunch of numbers at you. That doesn't mean much. But you can get an idea of the division of prophecy in the Old Testament. Almost all of it is found in Psalms, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. And I don't know that we spend very much time in those books. And so if you want to understand what God has said is coming, then you have to study those books. Um, of those 3,193 prophecies, 703 of those prophecies refer to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine 703 specific prophecies about Jesus? That's an amazing thing. And 242 of those are found in the book of Isaiah. So 242 specific prophecies about Jesus Christ are found in the book of Isaiah. How many numbers people do we have? You, you enjoy numbers and figures and those kinds of things. All right. So I'm speaking to like 10 people right now. The rest of you, just come along with us for a minute. This is, I think that this is fascinating, these details that God gives us in the book of Isaiah. Do you know that there are only four prophecies in the Old Testament referring to the Holy Spirit? And two of them are found in the book of Isaiah. That's interesting, isn't it? We focus a lot on the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit because that's what happened in John chapter 14, Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came in that capacity. So can, how many of you... I can't imagine living life without the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me and revealing the truth of the Word of God to us. Folks in the Old Testament didn't have that. It's a fascinating thing. So two of those are in the book of Isaiah. So the, the book of Isaiah is really important. It's quoted 58 times in the New Testament. And 28 of those refer to Jesus Christ. So if you want to know Jesus Christ better, what God says about Jesus Christ, going to the book of Isaiah will really teach you about him. All right. So now let's start and let's look at verses one and two. And this is the God of comfort. It's a message of comfort. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God. One of the things that's interesting about that is that this is the Godhead. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 that God is the God of all comfort. So God the Father, the God of all comfort. In John chapter 14, Jesus... Well, let's look at it. Go to John chapter 14 with me. Keep your place in Isaiah, please. Go to John chapter 14. Right, look at verse 15, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. I say that to Laura constantly. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, what's that next word? Another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I... I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So, you know, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I, I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. And we believe that, don't we? And we also know that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. So we know that from 2 Corinthians 1, 3, that God the Father is called the Comforter. We know from John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. But I think that what we miss is Jesus is saying that He is leaving, so He must send 
another comforter, which means that Jesus Christ is also the comforter. Does that make sense? So what we have is the Godhead revealed in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And I want to show you specifically how God prophesied that. Go back to the book of Isaiah and look at Isaiah chapter 61. All right, look at what it says in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see is First Corinthians one or Second Corinthians one three, God the Father is the comforter. Isaiah chapter 14, I'm sorry, John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 2 is we see that Jesus Christ is the comforter. That's a wonderful thing that we see, that the whole Godhead is involved in your comfort. Now specifically, Isaiah chapter 40 is not talking to you. It says, comfort ye, comfort ye. And ye, remember in your Bible, that the T's... Thee, thou, thy, that's singular. The wise, ye and you, that's plural. All right? And for you high schoolers, all right, plural means more than one. All right, is that helpful? All right. So you have, it, it's, it's interesting, the T's, these and thou's, that's singular, speaking to one. The ye's and the you's, that's a group. But that group, comfort ye, that's not you and me. That's the nation of Israel. God's telling the nation of Israel, remember what's happened for the first 39 books of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has been prophesying, prophesying the destruction, the captivity of Israel. Now, it, it begins in the 600s and into the 500s B.C. So this is written around 700 B.C. So more than 100 years later, the captivity takes place. And God always gives a warning. It's really a blessing. God always gives a warning. So what we have here is the warning of God that captivity is coming, that destruction is coming. And now chapter 40, he's saying, but, but I promise you, the nation's not going to die. The nation's going to be okay. So this is, a, this is an interesting thing. We'll give you some more information on that in a minute. Now, the greatest comforter is Jesus Christ. And I think that we would all agree with that. The greatest comforter is Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something really interesting. So Isaiah, if you Google Isaiah and you want to study about the book of Isaiah, what you'll see is that um, liberal Old Testament scholars will say that there are several different authors of the book of Isaiah. And that from chapter 40 on, they call that Deutero-Isaiah, that it's a, it's a different person. The reason they say that is because there is so much prophecy that is fulfilled from Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah chapter 66 that it just, it just boggles their minds. And because they're naturalists, they don't believe in our supernatural God. They say there's no way that Isaiah could have known this. The only problem is Jesus Christ said Isaiah said it. The apostle Paul said Isaiah said it or wrote it. And so what do we believe? That Isaiah wrote it. 
See, you've got, to, you've got to disbelieve the Bible and the people in the Bible to discount the truth of this. And I'll tell you something that's amazing. The book of Isaiah has been called the Bible in miniature. The Bible in miniature. So there are 66 books in your Bible. All right? 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. And the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. And I'll tell you what's amazing is Isaiah chapter 1 aligns with Genesis. Isaiah chapter 2 aligns with Exodus. Isaiah chapter 3 aligns with Leviticus. And I'll stop there. And it goes on and on through your whole Bible. And Michael Scott, now how many of you went to our youth camp? Went to our youth camp. You all know Dr. Scott. He wrote this book. He opened the book and closed the book. We published it at the Ancient Baptist Press here out of Grace Baptist. And what, what Michael has done is he's taken every one of those chapters and he shows you how that works. So for Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2, it says, Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Matthew says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which were sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen, gathered her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Verse after verse, section after section, Michael shows how that works. And what I did was I actually had Pastor Nathan bring out a table of these books. All of you ought to get a copy of this book. Um, it's $10. You ought to have this and do a study. And I'll tell you what's interesting. It only works with the King James Bible. And he shows you how that works and the problem with some of the other translations in that area. Now, let's, let's break this down. I want you to think about something. So all the skeptics say that chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah must have been written by someone else because the tone changes. You go from judgment to comfort. It's very interesting. What's the, most what's the most comforting thing that ever happened in the history of the world? Jesus Christ became a man. Where do we first learn about that? In the book of Matthew. Isn't that interesting? The book of Matthew. Do you know what the 40th book of the Bible is? Matthew. Do you know what chapter we're studying right now in the book of Isaiah? chapter 40. And so it begins with a message of comfort. Is there anything more comforting than the fact that our Savior has come into the world? Wonderful, counselor, everlasting father, the prince of peace. That's who comes for the first time and we see him in the book of Matthew. But it's presented here, that comfort is presented in Isaiah chapter 40. I got to tell you, you can't make that up. That is not a coincidence. So it begins with a message of comfort. And that message of comfort is, of course, given all through the Gospels. And if you take the time to look at Isaiah chapter 40, it aligns with Matthew. Isaiah chapter 41, Mark. Isaiah chapter 42, it's, it's uh, Luke and then John. It just fits perfectly with God's supernatural work. So... First of all, it's God's message of comfort. Now, can I tell you something? That message is specifically for Israel. But all those cross-references that we've talked about is for you and me. God is the God of comfort. 
And, you know, sometimes we look for comfort in other places. You know, sometimes people look for comfort in a bottle. Sometimes people look for comfort in an illicit relationship. Sometimes people look for comfort in a Big Mac. But ultimately, the comfort that we need can only come from the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need that comfort. All right? So this, here we have God's message of comfort. And then I want you to see God's message of reality. This is so interesting. Verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, would you mark that word Lord right there? Would you mark that? Now, in your Bible, in your King James Bible, the translators were very careful to give you specific lettering so you knew what title of the Godhead is being used. So when you see all of those capitals, Lord, that's Jehovah God. But who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. So what does that tell us? That in the Godhead, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is as much Jehovah God as God the Father is. Isn't that awesome? And so that's, that's details that you see when you actually look at the text and you believe the words. So then, again, aligning this with Matthew, if you look at verse 3, "...the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord." Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, I'll tell you what happens. People spiritualize that. They spiritualize that. You know, when people say that the mountains and the, the hills will clap for joy, that they think that that's poetry. And it is beautiful, but it's true. And I want you to see some of the reality of this message, the reality of it. First of all, God always gives a warning before judgment. Isn't He a gracious God? God always gives a warning before judgment. And God sent John the Baptist to warn Israel that Jesus Christ is coming. God sent Elijah to warn Israel to get rid of your idols. He brought in seven years of famine. Get rid of your idols. Obey God. Believe God. God is a gracious and gracious God. He loves us and He always gives a warning. And the warning that He sent here is clearly John the Baptist. Um, if you look at... Let, let's, let's just look at some of these references to John the Baptist so you can see that, it's, that it is He. Look at Matthew chapter 3. What is repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. If you are new with us and you've not heard that yet, you need to mark it down somewhere. Repetition in the Bible is God's volume control. So if you look at John, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 1. In those days came... Now, what do we, what do we automatically look at right there in those days? What does that point to? What, what does it point to? Tribulation. Tribulation. So if, you're, if you haven't learned that yet, mark, the, mark that, that in those days. Is that a phrase? Is that a phrase in those days or a clause? Phrase. All right. So mark that phrase in those days and write tribulation next to that. All right. So it'll point to the tribulation and we'll see that in a minute. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, now look at, hold on. 
Keep your place there. Go back to Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth where? In the wilderness. All right. Everybody see that? Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Back to, back to Matthew Chapter 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Now, that's the Greek spelling of, of, of Isaiah. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. It's interesting, isn't it? So what do we see? That it's in Matthew. All right? You have John, this speaking about John, in Matthew. Look at Mark chapter 1. What's repetition in the Bible? All right? So Mark chapter 1, look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Now, would you mark that word prophets? I'm going to show you something from that in a second. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All right, now go to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Let's make it Luke chapter 3. Look at verse 3. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the, mission, for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, Luke, now Luke is always the most detailed of all the gospel writers. And he, he, and he actually says that's what he set out to do, is give you more detail. And look at what it says in verse 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. So that is the message that John the Baptist was preaching. All right, is that very clear? All right, now go to... John chapter 1. What is repetition in the Bible? Do you think God wants us to know this truth right here? It's very interesting. Look at verse 23. John 1 verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. All right, so John himself is claiming to be the person that is prophesied of in Isaiah chapter 40. Is that clear in the Bible? If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Was he that person? Was he that person? Let me ask you a question. Have the paths been made straight? Have the valleys been filled up? Have the mountains been brought low? Has that happened? No. So is John the fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Isaiah? 
Well, the Bible says he was. So what do we do with that? Does that mean that we ought to spiritualize those texts, that the mountains are going to be brought low and the valleys are going to be brought up? Look with me at the book of Judges. Judges chapter 5. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, chapter 5. And I'll tell you, this is so interesting. And maybe we need to preach through Judges one of these days. But, you know, Deborah was a female judge. And look at, look at what happens here. Judges, chapter 5, and verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, uh, on that day, saying... Now, what do you notice right there? On that day... So if you have not been here long enough to see some of our understanding of the Bible, mark on that day. If you trace that through the Bible, that is the day that the Lord returns. Anytime you see that day, there's a reference to the return of the Lord. It's either the rapture or it's His coming to establish His kingdom. Now it's interesting, you have a lady speaking. And it says, it says this, "...praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves." Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom. Now, when did that happen? It hadn't happened yet. When the children of Israel went through the, the wilderness, they went around Edom. They didn't go through Edom. They didn't go to Mount Seir. They didn't go to Mount Paran. That hadn't happened yet. Now look at what it says. This certainly hasn't happened. Verse 4 again. Lord, when thou wentest out of Mount Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. Do you know what happens when Jesus Christ returns? You know what happens? The mountains are brought low. The valleys are brought up, and Jesus Christ is going to have a straight path to Mount Zion. And He is going to rule and reign from there. Mount Zion is going to be raised up above all of the mountains, and there's going to be a river that flows out of Mount Zion and waters the whole earth. And the whole world, every living person is going to come to Mount Zion and see the Savior, and He is going to teach the whole world from that mountain. That's what's coming. So, why didn't that happen? The Bible says that Elijah came in the... or That, 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 that uh, John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus Christ said... Well, let's, let's look at it. Go to Matthew chapter 11. God always gives a warning... Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. Man camp. Amen, guys? A reed shaken with the wind. Can I tell you something? Man, we need some more Johns, don't we? 
Man, I'm so tired of sissy men, guys that, aren't, that, that are afraid to stand up for the truth. John the Baptist was willing to confront the king about his immorality and lose his head over it. We're not afraid to lose jobs. I mean, we're afraid to lose jobs. We're afraid to lose a promotion. We, we need guys that are willing to stand. We don't want a reed shaken in the wind, do we? And that's John. John was that man. And look at what it says. I love it that Jesus said it. But, verse 8, But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Now, wait a minute. Jesus just said that John is the one that Isaiah was prophesying of, didn't he? But the mountains weren't brought low. The valleys weren't filled up. What in the world is going on? Is this a contradiction in your Bible? Look at what it says. Verse 10 again. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now I want to show you something really interesting. Born of women. That's everybody, right? Everybody's been born of a woman. Do I need to teach biology? Are you all with me on this? Everyone has been born of a woman. But this is pretty cool. But then Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. So what is this? Of all of those in that Old Testament economy, of all of the prophets, John is the greatest because he announced the Savior. He announced God gave him the opportunity of being his forerunner. Is that awesome? Then look at what it says. Verse 11 again, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now look at verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Man, I'd love to spend time on verse 12. I can't right now. Verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So John is the culmination, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets. He's the last one. Then look at what it says. Verse 14, And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, that's Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What happened? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. So God did intend, Jesus Christ did intend for John to be that Elijah. That was his intention. But they rejected him. They killed him. And so he wasn't. That's why the mountains haven't been brought low. That's why the valleys haven't been filled up. That's why the paths have not been made straight. That is still coming. And the fact that that hasn't happened yet has allowed us, the church, it's allowed us to exist and to spread the gospel around the world. It is a picture and it's, a, it's evidence of the gracious God that we have. He always gives a warning. But His Word always comes true. 
Can I tell you what's going to happen soon? Those mountains are going to be brought low. Those valleys are going to be raised up. The paths are going to be made straight. What do you think the tree huggers are going to do then? Well, you know, they're not going to care about it because the earth will have been destroyed during the tribulation period. Right? All right. So this is such an amazing, amazing text. This is the person that, we're, that we worship, our Savior, who clears all of those issues up. But the problem is people don't take the Bible literally. We literally believe that those mountains are going to be brought down and those valleys are going to be filled up, that they're going to melt before God. Jehovah God, Lord Jesus Christ, who comes in power and in great glory. Go back to Isaiah chapter 40 and let's finish this up. Isn't it amazing what happens when we allow the Bible to interpret itself? Verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I wish I had time to go into that. The Bible tells us what that means. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I'm going to explain the prophets thing tonight. I am continuing God's hate list, but I will explain that to you tonight. Every valley shall be exalted, that means they're brought up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough place is plain, look at this, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Handel, when he wrote the Messiah, he got this wrong. We didn't see that when Jesus Christ came. But I'll tell you what, we're going to see it. Zechariah chapter 12, it says, uh, and, and the whole world shall see him and they shall mourn. They're going to mourn when they see it. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, the whole world is going to see him. Every person is going to see him when he returns. Everyone didn't see him when he was born. We believe literally that these things will be fulfilled. Um, then look at verse 6. So th- this is so interesting to me. How is this comforting? The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of grass or as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. What does that mean? What does that mean? This is, this is the message of reality, folks. You see, before a person can be saved, they have to realize they're lost. Before the nation of Israel can be redeemed, they have to understand that they are away from God. And our condition can only be understood when we realize that life's but a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. That's where we are. That's where we are. Isn't it interesting how brown Sydney, Ohio got without some rain? And then we get two days of rain and all the grass comes back. It's so interesting that that rain is a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does to a lost man. He makes him alive. He makes him alive. And you're ready for, here it is. So we have, it's, it's a message of comfort. It's a message of reality. And the simple fact is, we all need a Savior. Amen. We, we all, we need a Savior. We're, we're, we're worthless without Him. But it's a message of grace. Look at verse 8. The grass withereth, 
The flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The The Bible makes it very clear. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Do you know that that passage I just quoted is directly quoting this passage? And you're ready for this? Do you know what I love about Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8? Number one, the Bible was written on grass, papyrus. And those, those original manuscripts, they're gone. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the medium is not what God preserved. He preserved His Word. We have it today. We can read it. We can trust it. We can live by it. Isn't that wonderful? And that's, a, that's true from that text. But you know what this is talking about? Man. Man withers and dies. But do you know what the Bible says in the book of John? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Later on in the chapter it says, We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. But here's the key part. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And you ready for this? He lives and abides forever. The Bible says He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. The Bible says He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That is our Savior. It is a message of grace. And God used that nation of Israel. He said, you're going into judgment. You're going into captivity. But let me tell you something. Your warfare is accomplished. Your freedom has come. I've given you double for your transgressions. I've given you double grace when you deserve double condemnation. And I'll tell you something wonderful about God. God never gives you double judgment. But He gives you double grace. What a wonderful God we have. He gives you exactly the judgment that you deserve. And He gives you double the grace that you don't deserve. That's the God that we worship. And every word of Isaiah chapter 40 is true. And you trace it through the Scriptures. And it is the foundation of everything that we believe. Are you glad that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? That's the most comforting thing that has ever happened. And here's the good news. We looked at this in Sunday school. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 and verse 3. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Did Jesus Christ die and rise again? Did He do that? The Bible says when we get saved, we die with Him and we're risen together with Him. The Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says that I am in Christ right now. I am hid with Christ in God. Do you know why? Listen. When it says, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever, that is the written word of God, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who will live 
forever. And are you ready for this? If you're saved, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, if you've done that, then your life is as, your eternity is just as sure as God's is. Do you believe in an eternal God? Amen. Amen. Then my salvation is eternal because I am hid with Christ in God. Praise His name. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Do you know what that teaches us to do? Look, back at Isaiah 40. We'll finish with this. Look at verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Folks, the eternality of our Savior, the comfort that comes from His coming, the wonderful reality that I need Him, the wonderful reality that He always sends a messenger, and the amazing grace that He came and His eternality, His eternal existence, that allows me to wait on the Lord, to renew my strength, to mount up with wings as eagles, to run and not be weary, and to walk and not faint. Amen? What an amazing God. What an amazing Savior. What an amazing book. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word.